Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Brian Paget, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And I thank you for joining us. We are in uh, summertime in Stillwater, and so everyone is sitting further back. And everyone is out on vacation, and it's really hot in here. So if you get uh, too hot, just excuse yourself, go to the restroom. It's the coldest room in the building. I can testify. Um, it's very nice in there and quiet. Um, but we are in, uh, so we're in a series, right, through um, uh, titled Jesus, the Hope of All Nations. And what we've been doing is kind of walking through the whole Bible. And so this morning will be gospel and acts, but I'm really going to focus my energy in Acts 15 here. Uh, and, and before I really jump in, I want to give just a couple quick uh, important announcements. One, we are shooting for, uh, the, I think it's June 5th, the first Sunday of June, to launch Redeemer Kids again, at least with one class. And it would be walkers up to, I think, five years old is what we said. Um, and so the idea behind that, though, is that we have enough people right now that have done all the ministry safe training and background check and everything else. So next Sunday, so there's going to be two announcements this next Sunday. So this is the first one. At 9 o'clock at our offices at First Baptist Church, we're on the third floor, uh, Office 307 there. Uh, Tyler's going to do a training for everyone who has filled out ministry safe stuff. So if you've done all that, if you haven't done that this week, please get it done. Uh, and so the ministry safe, there's a, a abuse training. Uh, and then through planning center, there's a background check. And unless you can produce a background check from somewhere else, we need that background check done. And if you've done some other training that applies, it's similar. Tyler, you can talk to him and he'll see if it, if it matches up. And if so, we can accept that. But otherwise, you need to do those two things if you're going to serve back there. Now, what we need are teachers, helpers, and security uh, check-in table. So if you're like, I don't really want to be back there with the kids, that's okay. We can still use you because we need people that will sit out front and help check people in and just kind of protect that area to make sure no one's going back that shouldn't be going back, right? So we, we take safety very seriously here. Uh, we're trying to get that launched January or June 5th, uh, and so we've got to do a training to get everybody up to speed again on how we do this, what that's going to look like. So that's next Sunday at 9 o'clock at our office. If you can't make it for some reason, just let Tyler know. Uh, I think we're going to try to possibly record it, maybe even zoom you in. So if, you can, if you're somewhere else in the country and you want to zoom in, we can try to do that as well. The other thing with next Sunday is this. We will not be here next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are joining with First Baptist. Uh, and, and so Myra will remind you at the end with another announcement. But I want to just kind of highlight what's going on here. We are going to go to First Baptist and worship with them. So we're just their guest. Right, So we don't have any part in it. They're going to do what they do. We're just going to be there to worship with them. And then afterwards, we're going to have a meal with them. Just so members of our churches can get to know one, each, one another as we're looking at a possibly coming together as one new church and what that might look like. There's still a lot uh, to be determined about that. But we thought, hey, let's do some things together. At least get our people to meet one another. So that'll be next Sunday. They actually meet at 11 o'clock. So you get to sleep in 30 more minutes. Unless you have kids and you're not sleeping in anyway. Uh, and then we don't have to do any setup here or anything else, and there will be air conditioning. Anthony will need a few volunteers because they're doing the meat. So if you are really good with gloves on your hands and handling things, Anthony won't let me near meat because one time I touched meat without gloves on, and I learned a big lesson that day. Oh, right. Yeah, we do, our church is bringing desserts and drinks. So we need people to sign up for that. Do we have one? We probably don't have one. Doesn't matter. 
just bring desserts and drinks. They're bringing sides, and then Anthony and Alexis are providing the meat. So you know the meat's going to be good. We'll see about your desserts. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump in here. Uh, that's enough of those announcements. Uh, but we are going to be in Acts 15. We're going to pro- focus primarily there uh, this morning. And so uh, as we've gone through this series, Jesus, the Hope of All Nations, uh, my hope is that as you're kind of seeing Throughout the Word of God, obviously we're not exhausting the Word of God, we're not exhausting every chapter of the Bible, uh, but my hope is what you've already begun to see is that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, right, that Jesus truly is the hope of all nations. Now when we say that he's the hope of all nations, we're not just talking about some wishful thinking, that, that this hope the Bible talks about is a sure thing, that Jesus is a sure Savior, he is a sufficient Savior, he is the one who is truly going to save men, women, and children from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so most of the time when we go to the gospel accounts, we immediately want to go to the Great Commission text, right? Uh, Go to the end of everything. We talk about mission there and the nations and this, that, and the other. And that's great. Those are important. They're extremely, extremely important. But that's not all throughout the gospels. In fact, most of the gospels are telling the story of Jesus being the hope of all nations. Uh, I think you've probably heard me say this before, but two-thirds of Jesus's ministry was not to Jewish people, it was cross-cultural. So this is all throughout the Gospels, you're seeing these peoples that are, that are not Jewish people that he's ministering to, and he's, he's sharing the Gospel of the Kingdom with. <clears throat> so that when he says to his disciples at the end, go make disciples of all nations, he's not asking them to do something that he's not already doing himself or hasn't already done. And, and so they, they kind of have a framework for what this is going to be. There's probably still some confusion, right? There, there's, they're us, like they're human just like we are. But that's why it tells him at the beginning of Acts that wait here until you receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now he's speaking to a large crowd of people, at least 120 disciples of his uh, in the upper room when he's doing this. So when we read, you will be my disciples, you need to read it with the Texas, Oklahoma vernacular of y'all or all y'all. And he's not singular, he's not individualizing that like we do. So this is where we get some really bad missiological takes where people are like, well, I need to reach my Jerusalem, then I can reach my Judea, then my Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. That's not what it says. It says and, 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 and. It's, it's all happening at the same time. And the reason for that is because the Great Commission, and as what Jesus is telling the, the disciples there, This whole mandate to reach all nations is given to the church, not to missionaries. We need to get off of this thing where we think missionaries are going to complete some task out there that remains. That's not the case. It's the church's responsibility to be the mission uh, in the, the mission agency or the missionaries in the world. We're to be a public witness for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's why by the end of Acts 28, Paul has gone to all the known world, but he wanted to get to Spain. We know that from Romans. He was on his way to Spain, which was considered the ends of the earth at that time. And why is Paul doing this? Because he was set apart as a, gospel, a missionary to the Gentiles to go. And he would take these people with him. And what would he do? He would start these communities of Christians that gathered around the gospel. And they would go out and they had a public witness. They were both Jew and Gentile. And this is why I want to focus in on Acts 15 today. Because when we talk about Jesus being the hope of all nations, we need to understand that in many ways... Uh, If we're not careful, we've definitely done this, and in many ways we can continue to do the same thing. We can actually hinder Christ being known around the world 
because of how American we've made the gospel. And that's an extremely important thing to understand because for the last 200 years, 250 years, uh, or more, maybe even 300 years, the gospel has been primarily launching from the Western world into the rest of the world. And the Western world has brought with it Western civilization. And the Western world has brought Western ways of doing things. That's why you go to churches in, say, Southern Africa, and they will be gathered under a building, all sitting in, in rows like this, facing the front. That's a very Western way of doing things. This is very much like an academic center, the way we've set up our churches. It's, it's similar to the university. It's similar to places like that, where there's one person at the front, everybody sits out, we're singing this way, there's a band singing back this way. Go look at videos of churches around the world that have been influenced by American or Western missionaries, and you're going to see a very similar concept. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what's going on. Now, some of that is because we've brought these ways of doing things to the nations and said, this is how you do church. This is how you're supposed to set up everything. And, and what's happened, and this is why it's so important that we deal with our superiority complex here in the West, whether it be Western superiority, American superiority, white supremacy, whatever other supremacy or superiority that's out there, because what the danger is, is that we've elevated ourselves to the standard bearers of what it means to be Christian in the world, and we have, we have judged everyone else based on us. So that if they don't worship the way we do, if they don't say the same things we do or believe the same way we do, then we question whether or not they're even Christian. And we don't have to go outside the country to find that out. I go to my Twitter profile, Twitter timeline right now, and I can show you pastor after pastor after pastor. This is a real thing that's happening right now. I'm not even joking. Well-known, well-followed theologians, pastors, everyone else with thousands and thousands of followers saying things like this, that if someone in your church voted for a Democrat, you need to put them under church discipline. They may not even be a Christian. Huh? So now your faith, your salvation's contingent on who you voted for? That's adding to the gospel. That's putting other things on top of the gospel and saying any true Christian would fill in the blank. And this happens on the right and the left here in this country. But we do it to one another. We've done it globally. And it's important that we understand this isn't new. This isn't new. So take a deep breath. <laughs> understand that we're human. Understand that we've made some major mistakes. Understand that we've gotten some things wrong. But we're not alone in that. This has happened before. And you're going to see this here in Acts 15. But the primary driver for a lot of this is because it's arrogance. We, we live in this world where our way of life and our way of doing everything, our culture, everything is normative and everything else is weird and different or wrong. And that's an extremely dangerous place to be in. Americans aren't the only ones guilty of that, just so you know. You're like, why is he so hard on Americans? Because we're in America. And we got to talk honest about who we are and what we've done. But it's not just Americans that are guilty of this. Talk to Tyler and ask about the Chinese church. Similar situation over there. Talk about any major people in a country, a majority people, you're going to see some of the same things. Um, you can go to India and talk about the caste system and ask the high caste Hindus what they think the church look like. Then go ask the Dalits. You're going to get two very different stories. <laughs> And some think they're more superior than others. So let's jump in and let's read Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. Let's start there. But some men came down from Judea 
and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's an important thing right there. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After all, or, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they all declared that God, uh, what God had, uh, all, all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, catch this, it is necessary, big word there, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Now what's going on here is Paul and Barnabas right before this have kind of gone out on their first missionary journey and Gentiles are coming to faith. Now right before that, Peter, if you remember Peter, he's in Joppa in, in Acts 10. He's up on the rooftop reclining, taking it easy. He's in his hammock up there. And God comes to him in a vision three different times. And he lets down this, this sheet and in it are all these unclean animals. And God says, rise, kill, and eat. And every time Peter responds with, Lord, I have never touched an unclean thing. I will never do this. And God says, what I have made clean, do not declare to be unclean. What I declare to be clean, do not call it unclean. He does this three times. Now, this is an important thing to understand because oftentimes in the Jewish world and, and the Jewish mind is things had to happen to three times, two to three times it was for emphasis. It was to say, this is really, really important. So God does this three times and, and also maybe shows a little bit of the, you know, stubbornness of Peter. But God does it three times and tells him, well, then a knock at the door comes. Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, who is not, it says he's a God-fearer, but he's not a proselyte. He's not, he hasn't converted to Judaism. He's not circumcised. He's not following the law of Moses. He fears God. He fears uh, uh, the one true God, maybe, but he's not a follower of God. He, he's He's a Roman centurion. He sins because he had this vision. He sends to Peter in Joppa and says, please come to my house. Peter comes to his house because of the, the vision. He's like, oh, maybe this is related. He goes into the house of a Gentile. This is a no-no. Peter's not supposed to do this. But because of the vision that he just had, he's like, Okay, I'm going to go in. So he proceeds to begin telling them about the gospel. Cornelius asks, God told me to send for you. You have a message for us. He begins telling them the gospel, and he notices that the Holy Spirit of God comes on the people in that room. His whole household gets saved, and Peter's like, what is going on? Why should they not be baptized? He is testifying right there in front of him that he's proclaiming the gospel. They got saved. The Spirit affirmed it. He baptized them. In Acts 12, he goes on to tell the Pharisees, the Judaizers, they would call them, and they start just giving him a hard time. Because you went to the home of a Gentile? Imagine that, right? If you're talking to someone and you're telling them about how someone came to faith and their first response to you is anger because you went into the home of a Gentile, you might be dealing with a Judaizer or a legalizer, Someone that cares more about the fact that you didn't keep yourself clean from the Gentiles than that someone just met Jesus and was saved. We have real problems in this country with this kind of garbage. This is what we keep doing and keep seeing. And we wonder why the majority now of, the world, of America has a poor view of the church. Where just 20 years ago, it was complete opposite. Statistically speaking, as they're showing us. 
We do stuff like this, it's not any different. But what they've done here is they've said this, it is necessary that the Gentiles be circumcised and, and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. This is what the Jerusalem council is going to be about, that issue. And this is huge. Like you've heard of church councils, right? We got Nicaea, that's a big one. Right, that's a, that's a really big one. We have tons of church councils. Now, most of them are very theological in nature. We love us some theology, right? We love to debate theology. Most of the church councils throughout history are dealing with the divinity and humanity of Jesus or the Trinity. And I'm thankful for those. We needed many of those, right? To, because they had to clear up what is the orthodox biblical understanding of Trinity and what does it mean that Jesus is both human and God. But this one is more missiological than theological, although it is theological at the same time. Because what's happening here is if, if, if it turns out that we have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses before we can be saved, then that is going to do something to the gospel message. It is going to strap it in. It's going to lock it in to a Jewish-only faith, a Jewish-only culture, a Jewish-only way of thinking, a jewish because... You have to follow the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised. Then you have to believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. Then you can carry on with the rest of your life. But Paul and Barnabas and Peter are saying, I don't know what to tell you, but we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and people that hadn't been circumcised and aren't following Moses are getting saved. That's the debate that's going on now. Now, they had a debate in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas said they had no small dissension. If you know what that word dissension is, that means it wasn't a fun debate. <laughs> there was a, <clears throat> it got probably pretty divisive and pretty heated in there. It's likely that time at Antioch is the one referred to in Galatians when Paul calls out Peter, who had been eating with the Gentiles, and when the Judaizers show up from Jerusalem, he disassociates with the Gentiles and goes over here. And Paul says, that's a gospel issue, Peter. He calls him on the carpet in front of everyone because publicly one of the high apostles is distancing himself from the Gentiles and showing them to be unclean again. And the Gentiles who had just been feasting with Peter are going, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And now there's confusion. Are we then supposed to be Jewish? Are we not actually saved? What is going on here? So this is a huge, huge moment for the whole church throughout history. But this is a huge moment for these Gentiles right here and right now. And the question they're trying to debate is, do they have to obey the law of Moses and be circumcised before they can be saved? Or are they saved by faith in Christ alone, by his grace alone? So let's see what happens in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. Now, just to capture this real quick, there's been a lot of lively debate. <laughs> like they don't give all the details, but my gosh, we've been around Christianity long enough in this country in the last two years to see what lively debate would look like. If not, you've just not been paying attention and you don't even have to be on social media. But they have this lively day. So the apostles and elders are gathered together. They're considering this matter. The Judaizers are with them. These were Pharisees and other Jews that believed that you had to basically become Jewish before you could be saved. And they have this lively debate and Peter stands up. Now Peter, remember this is Peter who Jesus restored after he denied Jesus three times. 
Jesus restores him and tells him, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, right? He keeps telling him to feed them. This is Peter about to feed us. He's gonna do what Jesus has called him to do. Look at what he says, verse seven. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the, to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter stands up and like mic drop moment. Imagine being in that room with these apostles and elders, these Judaizers, and Peter stands up, who they all respect. Peter's kind of a big deal. And he says, you know, I have testified already. You know, it was by my mouth. I was the first one to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Not Paul, by the way, Peter. This dude wouldn't go into the home of a Gentile. That's why God had to send the vision three times to him. You know that it was by my mouth I first spoke the gospel, preached the gospel to the Gentiles, and they believed. You know this, he says. And he says that, that, that God who knows the heart, he bore witness by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them. Why is it important that Peter says he made no distinction between us and them? Because there were distinctions between us and them, weren't there? There's us, who's us? The Jews, right? We're the circumcised, we're the people of God, we're the ones who had the promised Messiah, we're the us. And who's them? The Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Everyone in the world that's not Jewish. So there was a distinction. They knew there was a distinction. We're Jews, you're not. We're us, you're them. The us-them stuff's been going on for a long time. It's not new to America, okay? There's us and there's them. But God makes no distinction. He doesn't see that distinction. God doesn't say, ooh, yeah, the Gentiles, they're, you know, they're kind of different out there. I don't know about these guys. I don't, what are we going to do with them? He says, God made no distinction between us and them. He welcomed them in by the same faith that we were welcomed in with. Not by works, but by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he asks this question, why are we trying to burden them with a yoke that our fathers haven't been able to bear and we can't even bear? Yoke is teaching, okay? Yoke is teaching. When Jesus says, my yoke is light, my teaching is light, it's not a heavy burden. There was a heavy burden, a heavy burden laid on the Jews. They could not keep the law of Moses. They knew they couldn't keep the law of Moses. Why are we gonna go put the law of Moses on them? A yoke that we couldn't even bear. And now we're going to put it on them. Now, can, can I just pause here for a second and, and kind of bring, I know this is talking about the Jews in particular, but there's a principle here that we need to understand. Today in America, it is too burdensome to be a Christian. We've put too much of burden on people to come to Jesus. 
I mean, you've got people saying, if you don't believe X or Y, you can't even be a real Christian. If you don't vote for X or Y, you're not a real Christian. If you don't support X or support Y, how can you be a true Christian? True Christians will support X or Y. True Christians will vote this way. True Christians will believe this. True Christians would never do that. True Christians won't say this. We keep adding all these true Christian, true Christian, true Christian, true Christian, true Christian. And now nobody knows what it means to be truly a Christian. And that's exactly what's going on here. There's a burden that we're putting, there's a teaching that we're putting on people. So for crying out loud, like here's kind of what starts to happen. We start telling people that they can't be truly Christian if this is in their life or their voting history for crying out loud. Who knew that voting history would make it into one of the things that determines whether you're truly Christian or not? I tell you all the time, I could care less who you vote for. I will say this. Whenever you do vote a certain way, you've made your vote fine. You still can hold people accountable. You don't have to just go with the flow and tow the party line to all this other stuff. You belong to Jesus, not some political party. Speak and act like it. You don't have to spread conspiracy theories and wild garbage all the time. Like, you don't have to do that. You can call out what is true because we believe the truth and we are a people of the truth. And we want to live according to the truth. But none of that is contingent. Your salvation isn't contingent on who you vote for. That's asinine. That's not the gospel at all. That's adding a burden to the gospel. We're putting a heavy yoke on people. So even around the world, we tell people, well, you can't come to... I mean, for years, missionaries would go in and you couldn't get, be saved until you spoke English. You say, that's not true. You don't know church history and you don't know missions history. Why do you think even today missionaries find themselves in compounds, Americanizing their lives inside, and when they go out, they don't know how to interact with any of the people, but they're trying to get them to come to faith. And what they do is they pluck someone from this family and they bring them over here and we're going to Christianize them. What are we really doing? We're Americanizing them. We're Westernizing them. We're taking them from what is their culture, what is their upbringing, and we pull them over and we say, come be like us. And then we think we're going to send them back in. This happens all the time. We send them off to seminary in the West so they can get training as pastors and they come back and people don't understand what they're saying anymore. Why? Because in seminary, we Westernize them. Our theological seminaries, while theological, aren't just theological. They're extremely Western cultural too. Again, right, wrong, or indifference, it is what's happening. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're going to keep perpetuating these problems and actually hinder the gospel going forth all around the world to all nations. This is exactly what they're dealing with here in Acts 15. The Jerusalem Council is so huge to what's going on today, and we have so many lessons to still learn. We should probably regularly come back to this council and ask ourselves, are we adding to the gospel in a way that is hindering the nations from actually believing in this Jesus who saves us Simply by faith alone in Christ alone, by his grace alone. <laughs> you don't have to clean up your life in order to be saved. You don't have to go to church all the time in order to be saved. Just because you're born American doesn't make you saved. 
Just because you were raised in the church doesn't make you saved. Just because you do good things doesn't mean you're saved. You don't have to do good things in order to be saved. And God isn't saying because you did a bunch of bad things, you also can't be saved. We just read it together as as the assurance of pardon that it doesn't matter whatever sins you've committed, there's no sin so terrible that God has not already forgiven it by putting Jesus on the cross. All of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. That happened 2,000 years ago. You weren't alive. You hadn't had an opportunity to sin yet. All of your sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ if you trust in him as your savior alone. That's it. You trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's it. Now, as his people, are we to obey the teachings of Jesus? Absolutely. But your salvation isn't contingent on making sure you got everything right. All your politics were right. All your activities were right. All your thoughts were right. All your spending was right. All your giving was right. Everything has to be just right or you're not really a Christian. And there are a bunch of legalistic people out there today telling people all over the place that if you're not doing this, 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 and this, you're not maybe a Christian at all. In fact, one clown this week, and maybe I shouldn't have called him a clown, and I apologize for that. But this guy said that if you don't get this right, you're probably not a true Christian at all. Can I tell y'all something? As godly as that might sound, that's from the pit of hell. That is a lie. And I'm sick and tired of these people peddling this nonsense. Now you say, why are you getting so animated about this here? Because we live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. You don't think this is a problem? These are people who have had influence in people that were in our church before and they left because of these folks. They are influencing people all around. And there are people in this city that believe this stuff. That if you are this, this, and this, you can't even be saved. you got to give that stuff up if you're going to truly believe in Jesus. And we're preaching a gospel that Paul says in Galatia is a false gospel. That if I preach it or an angel preaches it, they should be anathema, condemned. Why? Because you are hindering people from hearing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the pure, simple gospel that is by faith alone in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, you are saved. Not by any works, not by any political persuasion, however you voted, not by any of this stuff. But we're transmitting this now to the world. We're taking this to the world. We've been doing it for centuries now, taking stuff to the world that we never should have brought to the world. I love what one Indian pastor said in India. He said, bring us the gospel seed, not a potted plant. And we keep transporting potted plants everywhere. This is extremely problematic. I have been saying throughout this entire pandemic, the public witness of the church matters. If you will listen to global Christians right now who talk about the American church, they are even going, what the heck is going on over there? I heard from people this week, they were talking about missionaries came back just to visit. They're here for like three months. They're like, what is happening in America? (laughs) What is wrong with the church here? It's a huge mess. And I'm going to tell you right now, and this is going to be extremely depressing and discouraging, I know. It's just getting started. It's going to get worse. What you see in this room, I promise you in five years, people aren't going to be here. I don't want to say, I don't want to believe that's true. But you watch the way things are going. 
We are becoming more tribal. We're living in more echo chambers. We're afraid to talk about the truth. We're afraid to say what's actually true. We're afraid to call out conspiracy theories. But now if I talk about abortion, LGBTQ stuff, I got no problems here. Everybody loves justice now. You start talking about racism though, brother, we've had a black president. It's over. You start talking about abuse, you start talking about misogyny, you start talking about other things that are going on corporately, culturally, you have problems on your hands. You start calling out the sin of these things that were going on. We start to have major problems. It's happening. There's a massive fracture that's happening. And some people won't talk about it. They say, Brian, just keep your mouth shut. Stay in your lane. This is my lane. This is your lane. This is our lane. And why does it matter? Because all around the world are billions of people that haven't heard this glorious good news, this simple good news of Jesus Christ. Because we just keep sending our recycled garbage out to everybody. There are some who have been faithful to preach the gospel and take it absolutely and I praise God for that. I am so thankful today that the global church is outnumbering the Western church, like the, the, the Eastern, Southeastern, Latin American church are way outnumbering the Western churches and sending people overseas. I love that, that's great news. Finally, from everywhere to everywhere, the global church is going. What used to be the mission field are now the missionaries. This is a wonderful thing that's happening. But the great fracture keeps taking place here. Maybe we need a good old council. Where should we meet? Nashville feels like a mecca for Christianity in some places. Waco used to be. Maybe it never was. Maybe Oklahoma City. That's not going to look cool in history. We need to do something like Chicago, probably. But we could really use a council, I think. Look at their response, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James, this is Jesus' brother, James. He replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with, his, with this word of the prophets agree, just as it is written, he reads from Amos here, chapter 9. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. This is the response. James has heard everything. They've all come to a decision. And James, who's the lead elder, stands up and he says, this is the decision. After listening to Peter, Paul, Barnabas, even Amos chapter 9. He just pulls out Amos chapter 9. He could have pulled out anything. He pulls out Amos chapter 9, I think it's verses 11 and 12, and says this is what God had prophesied beforehand was going to happen, that he would, the Gentiles would be called by his name. And he says, after all this, look at what his judgment is, verse 19. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We shouldn't trouble them. We should not trouble them. How do you think Muslims are going to come to faith in Jesus? 
Huh? Buddhist, Hindus, Sikhs, atheists. How do they come to Jesus? What must they do to be saved? Huh? What are you going to do if a Muslim comes and says, I believe in Esau Masih, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he died for my sins. And he goes back to the mosque. What are you going to do? You're not really a Christian. How dare you? Okay, so the homosexual comes to faith. And they remain in their relationship. Are they Christian? How dare you? You can't, huh? Are you still looking at pornography? Should we, how dare you? Why do we keep adding things to the gospel that aren't there? That's not the gospel. Do you believe in this Jesus? You will not believe in this Jesus till you come to a point where you realize you can't save yourself. You won't believe in him. You will not believe. So anyone who says, I need deliverance, I need rescue, I need Jesus, it's not because of any one sin in their life. It's because they realize they are desperate and in need of Jesus Christ. And when they look to him and they say, yes, he's a sufficient savior. I believe what he has done for me. And they give their lives to him. They enter in now to a life of sanctification. You make disciples of the nations. When Paul, after this happens, they take the letter up to Antioch. From there, Antioch lays hands on Paul, the elders there, and they say, God, the spirit has set apart Paul and Barnabas for work. And they send them out on their missionary journeys. And they go deeper into Gentile territories. And you know what Paul's not doing along the way? He's not winning souls. That is a very modern reductionistic way of understanding the gospel message. Paul's not a soul winner. He's not out winning souls for Jesus. Paul is out doing exactly what he was commanded to do. Make disciples of Jesus of all the ethne, of the nations. Not random individual, random individual, random individual. He is making disciples, which is body, soul, mind, and strength. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We spend so much time messing with people's souls, we forget they have a heart and soul, a body and mind too. Paul is holistically preaching the gospel. He is making disciples of the nations. He's not just winning souls, but he's doing it amongst the Gentiles. But now we get to this problem, right? He says, we don't want to trouble the Gentiles. But what did James say? Tell them to not do these four things. Avoid sexual morality. That seems obvious, but you don't know Rome. Like you think America's bad? You need to go read up on Rome. <laughs> so he says, avoid sexual morality. He says, things polluted by idols... Things that have been strangled, it's like don't eat roadkill either, and blood. Why did James tell them this? Didn't he just say we don't want to trouble the Gentiles? Now you've put some restrictions on them? He's not doing this about their faith though. He's not saying if you do these four things, you're truly saved. Notice, he is not questioning their salvation. He is saying these four things. You want to know why? Because that last part where he says... Moses has been preached all throughout every city because in every synagogue, on every Sabbath, Moses is preached. Here's what, what James and those guys are saying. Paul, you're about to go into these Gentile territories. Barnabas, others, you're gonna take the gospel further into Gentile territories. You know who's gonna be the minority in those territories? The Jews. 
And it would be real easy for these Gentile churches to start gathering as the majority and do exactly what the Jews were doing to the Gentiles right here and say, hey, Jews, you're with us now. You're in our territory. You need to become like us in order to worship with us. This was about tearing down any sort of segregation that might happen. Because Jew and Gentile are now going to worship together. And what James is saying, if you can do, do these, at least these four things, Jew and Gentile will be able to worship together. What he is calling on the Gentile church to do is lay down some of their liberties out of love. And it says it's a requirement. So people got upset with us because we required masks. So you're just making everybody do it. Okay. We're laying down our liberties for the sake of love. When we take the gospel into areas, there are times we're going to have to lay down our liberties for the sake of love. Here in this town, we have to lay down our liberties for the sake of love. That is the gospel call on our lives. If we're going to join together, if this thing with First Baptist is going to happen, you're going to have to lay down some liberties for the sake of love. If we're going to better unite across this city with other churches, especially the ones that aren't like us, that don't worship like us, that don't look like us and speak like us and everything else, we're going to have to lay down some liberties for the sake of love. But will we do it? You see, the pure gospel, the pure, simple gospel is that all of us are sinners. We're all separated from God. Because of which sin? All of them. It doesn't matter. Pick one. Stop choosing one that's the worst sin in the world. All of them have separated us from God. We are all sinners. But Jesus came, born of the virgin, just as Genesis 3.15 said would happen with no involvement from man through whom sin has been passed down from generation to generation. We were all born into our first parents, Adam and Eve. But Jesus comes born just of Mary. There's no involvement from a man. He comes born completely pure and holy. He lives a pure and holy life, no sin. He goes to the cross and becomes sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. He is nailed to a cross, naked, bloodied, dies, buried. Three days later, he rises from the dead, defeating our last enemy once and for all. He defeated death forever. Not that we won't die, but that because we've died, now we die in Christ. And since we died in Christ, we will now also rise with Christ. And when we rise with Christ, we will rise completed and whole and full. And all things will be made right and glorious and good. And this message is for anyone, any place, any time on the planet who believes in Jesus Christ alone. By trusting in Christ alone, through his grace alone, you are saved, not by any works of your own, not by any right theology, not by any right practices, not by any of these things. It is simply by faith alone and Christ alone that you come and are made, you are saved and made whole. Thus then you begin to love the church and love Jesus and obey his teachings, yes. But your salvation isn't contingent on how great you do all those things. But because you believe who Jesus is, out of love, you say, oh, I, love, I want to obey him. I want to walk in his ways. I want to obey his teachings. And that's what we're called to do. Make disciples by teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And who's this for? All nations. 
make disciples of all nations. We spend so much time arguing about make disciples, we forget the context is of all nations. It is 2022. We live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We just settled 71 Afghan refugees, if for nothing else. But we have over, what, close to 2,000 international students at OSU, Randy? Is that about right, roughly? 1,600? Not to mention scholars that are here, not to mention that. There is no reason this day and age we can't be making disciples of nations right here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we can partner with those who go to make disciples of nations in other places. But please always examine yourself. Are you putting a burden on other people? Are you saying in order to get saved, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z? Or when they get saved, you start to question their salvation because of X, Y, and Z. Instead of making disciples. So here's the question. Do you believe the gospel? This is the good news of the kingdom of God. The simple message that Jesus has come and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And if you trust in Christ alone, by his grace alone, you're saved. And if you do, how is it renewing your strength today? How is it renewing you? How is it recommitting you to making Christ known in our city? And if you don't believe this message or you're not sure and you want to talk, please come find me afterwards. Let's talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, help us because I, I, in so many ways... In spite of us, Lord, you have taken the gospel around the world, and we thank you for that. Lord, I'm so thankful today that it is literally not contingent on us getting everything right for you to fulfill your mission in the world, because we would never get there. But Lord, we also have to be honest about things. We need to be honest about our own lives, yes, but we need to be honest about our lives corporately and our history corporately. There are things that we have done in this country to create segregation, to hinder people from the gospel. We've preached a false gospel to slaves and to Indians. We've, I mean, just this week, they uncovered all the, 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 the reports came out of the Indian boarding schools where we were taking the Indian out of them, but leaving the man. And we were making them all white and making them all Christian and making them all these other things. And God, this is an abomination to you. This is not what the gospel has called us to do. You value the beauty of these different cultures, the skin colors, the languages, all these things, God, you created for your glory and for your good. And there is not one church or one way of life or one culture of the world that is more superior to any other culture in the world. And so, Lord, where we've been that way or thought that way, humble us. Please humble us, Lord. Give us an honest assessment, a just assessment of our past. And let us walk in repentance, not repeating those things and making sure that we are not adding on to the gospel message a burden and a yoke and a weight that is too much for others to bear that not even ourselves can bear right now. Lord, how many have walked away from church and Christianity in this country because it was just too much to bear? Have mercy on us, oh God. And your unfailing love, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.